Well, take God's word in your hands and turn to the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, chapter 15 this morning. Uh, we are concluding a four-week series that we've entitled Lost, parables about a seeking God. And we're, we're going to look at the second half of the story that we started with last week. And as you're turning to Luke 15, as you're grabbing that sermon insert in the bulletin to follow along, I want to really encourage you uh, to be with us next week. And in fact, not only next week, but for the next uh, series of, of weeks, because we will be kicking off a new series uh, starting next week uh, in the life of Abraham out of the book of Genesis, Father Abraham. And we're going to learn what it means to live an all-in life. We're going to learn about how God met Abraham, called him to something big that he couldn't see and, and couldn't fully realize. But Abraham took steps to follow God and to venture into faith. Even though he didn't do it perfectly, he was faithful to follow the leading and the plans of God. And one of the reasons why we're doing this series is next week we're going to be kicking off a new chapter of ministry in the life of our church. Next week, and I'm not going to share uh, much about it uh, today, but next week you're going to want to be here because the leaders are going to share something that's been on their heart for some time and something we've been sharing little by little to our congregation. We're going to go public with it next week, and it's going to be a time of great excitement, great testimony, a great affirmation of what God is doing in and through not only this campus, but across all our five campuses. But in order to fulfill what we believe God's calling us to be a part of, we, like Abraham, are going to have to step out and venture out into faith. We're going to have to be willing to sacrifice. We're going to have to be willing to uh, go maybe in places we've never gone before. But as we're going to learn through Abraham's life, I believe God will bless us each and every step of the way. So uh, if you don't make it a habit of being at church, this would be a Sunday that we would want you to be there. Change your schedule. Make it happen. Be at one of our services uh, next week. And then also, if you can be around for the many weeks to come, it would really be awesome. It's a new and exciting time, and I can't wait until we get there next Sunday. So do make, uh, make uh, any, every opportunity to be there uh, next Sunday. Well, let's turn to Luke chapter 15. And uh, we're in this series, Lost. And we have been learning about the heart of God. The heart of God who seeks after lost things. Now, Jesus has said this numerous times, that he came to seek and to save that which was lost. Now, Jesus has been on this mission. But some people didn't like the mission that Jesus was on. The Pharisees and the scribes in Luke 15, 1 say that they're upset, they're grumbling because Jesus is hanging around with the wrong kind of crowd. They name the crowd, they're the tax collectors and sinners. These are the deplorables of the day. These are the people that know they're sinners and everybody knows their sin and their shame. And Jesus is hanging out with them. Now, the Pharisees liked Jesus hanging out with them. Jesus was a famous rabbi. Jesus was a popular rabbi. And the Pharisees liked what Jesus shared. He was one of them. And so they appreciated much of what Jesus was saying. But as Jesus continued on in his ministry, he started inviting people to the party that the Pharisees didn't want. He started including people into the kingdom of God that the Pharisees didn't want. You see, the Pharisees were a group of individuals who thought it was their responsibility to determine who was in the faith and who wasn't. 
The Pharisees and the scribes were the ones who uh, kind of kept a checklist to see if you were good enough to be in the kingdom of God, the family of God, and they would tell you if you weren't. It sounds a lot like evangelicals today. We want to be able to say who's in and who's not. We want to say that if you sin with, if you have these types of sins, that's okay. But if you have these types of sins, then that's not okay. You can't be a part of the party. And just like in our day, the first century was filled with people who wanted to tell God who should be in and who should be out. And Jesus recognizes this and knows this. And he's got a mixed group of people in Luke 15 that he's speaking to. It says that great numbers drew close to Jesus. And that crowds included the tax collectors and the sinners, the, the, the scandalous ones. But it also included the Pharisees and the scribes. And so what Jesus does in Luke 15 and what we have seen him do is he addresses two stories to the tax collectors and sinners and two stories to the Pharisees and the scribes. Remember the first story was the parable of the lost sheep. A sheep wanders away and the good shepherd goes and gets the sheep and brings the sheep back to the fold. And there's this reminder, maybe you've wandered far from God. Well, God is seeking and searching after you and will rescue you and come to your aid and draw you back to himself. But then the second story that Jesus shares is about a woman with a lost coin. And this woman loses the coin in the house. It's not far. It didn't wander away, but it is in disuse. And so there's this picture that Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees of his day, close to him, seemingly in the house of God, but finds themselves out of use, meaning they're not living up to the purpose or potential that God had. And and yet God is seeking after those lost coins, those lost Pharisees. And then to make it even better, he goes back to those wanderers, those, the deplorables, and he tells us totally awesome and descriptive story about a man who has two sons. And the youngest son says to the father, I want you to give me your inheritance even though you're not dead yet. And the father does. He divides his, his life between the two sons, two-thirds to the older son and one-third to the younger. Well, the younger then takes all that he's been given and he runs away from the father to a far-off country. And he squanders and devours all that he has on shameful living and sinful lifestyles to the point that he fills himself with all kinds of bad things and he finds himself hungry and helpless. Because of a famine that hits that land, he needs work, he needs sustenance, and so he takes a job uh, penning, uh, uh, taking care of pigs in a pen. And as a result of that, he's at rock bottom. Remembering the good that he had at his father's house, he resolves in his heart, I'm going to go back home. And he makes his long way from the far country back to his father, not knowing that upon his arrival, would his father run to him to hurt him? That's what he expected, but that's not what happens. When the father sees him far off, the father runs to this son to hug him, and he gives him a robe, 
And he puts shoes on his feet and he places a ring on his finger and he lavishes him with all of this uh, picture of, of I love you and I care for you and you are back in your rightful place and let's forget what you did in the far country and let's focus in that you have returned. And then he calls his servants to kill the fattened calf and to throw a barbecue. And just like the story of the good shepherd, just like the, or the lost sheep and the good shepherd, just like the story of the lost coin and the woman, the father does exactly what each of those first two individuals did when he found what he was looking for. He celebrated. He rejoiced. And he invited all of his friends and all of his neighbors to come because that which was lost has now been found. And then he, he goes even farther. That which was dead is now alive. I wonder at the end of that story if people aren't just cheering, yes, what a great fairy tale ending. What a great way to end it. And I wonder if the, the tax collectors and sinners are like, this rabbi just told us that God loves us so much that amidst what we have done, we can have new life in him. We can have forgiveness in him. If we would only repent and return to him, he won't harm us. He will hug us and usher in heaven on our behalf. The feeling must have been, this is a new day, a new hope, a new opportunity to engage with this loving God that we never knew really existed. Because the Pharisees told us that this God was a God of wrath and judgment alone. A God who looked at us with shame and not sonship. But Jesus starts this new day. And I wonder if within the group, there was this great exclamation. But Jesus doesn't stop there in verse 24. And I wonder if the reason why he doesn't stop is those tax collectors, I'm sorry, those um, scribes and Pharisees began to grumble all the more. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. This guy rebels against his father, which in Old Testament days meant you killed him, you stoned him. He left, he took all that his father has, he squanders it in shameful ways in a foreign land. This is a Jewish man doing un-Jewish things in an un-Jewish land. This guy's bad. And now he's tending pigs, unclean animals. And you've got this guy coming home and his dad's hugging him? His dad's embracing him? His dad's giving him all the good gifts of being a good son? His dad's going to forgive him of all of that? Wait a minute, time out. Time out. That's not the God I know. My God wouldn't do that. You see, I've gone to rabbinical school. I've been a Pharisee for a long time. And what I know is that God can't stand sin. And that kid, he's sin. So Jesus continues the story. Well, who's Jesus talking to? Well, Jesus was talking to the tax collectors and sinners in the first part of the story of the prodigal son. And he somehow now turns it to the Pharisees and he says, wait a minute. 
there's another character in the story. A character that you will no doubt, Pharisees, connect with. But you're not going to like where it goes. You see, I think when Jesus describes the older brother, the Pharisees are like, finally, someone's got it right. Finally, someone is smart enough and, and bold enough to call out sin what it is because this father's making a mess of his holiness. And so Jesus tells the story. Look in the text. Now his older brother was in the field. And as he came and draw near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. Hooray! Awesome! It's a great day in this house. But, but... He was angry and refused to go in. So his father came out and entreated him. But, but, three letters, man, it does a lot, right? But he answered his father, look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But with this son of yours came who has devoured your property with prostitutes, who you have killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and to be glad, for this your brother was dead and now is alive. Your brother was lost and now he's found. You see, the whole thing of this text is the question whether we're going to party with God or not. Because God's going to invite people into his party that we may not like, that we may not think are a part of the party. One of my favorite customers in my catering business over my many years, he's now passed away, but was a guy named Big Jim. And Jim lived up north, up in Boone County. And uh, the thing I loved about Jim is he was larger than life. And when he threw a party, he threw a party. We're not talking 50, 75 people. We're talking 500 to 700 people. And there was no reason for the party. Jim, why are you throwing the party? Because we can. A caterer loves that. Now, Jim would drive me nuts because the number would continually grow. He'd call Tim, bring more chops. Why? I was over at this place, and I invited all of them to come to the party. All right. How many more do you think? A couple hundred more. Just bring it. Just bill me. It'll be great. It'll be fun. And then he would always say, bring your family. The more, the merrier. Man, we're just going to have a blast. Jim was the kind of guy, catered Jim's uh, funeral. And Jim made it very clear he wanted his funeral to be a party. And he knew he was struggling with cancer, and it was a long process of him passing away. Jim showed a video at his funeral um, luncheon. There was like 600 people, six, 700 people at his funeral luncheon. And he comes on the screen. He's like, hey, welcome to the party. He's dead, and he's talking to the people. And he says, 
I got Tim cooking the pork chops outside. And I'm like, I am cooking the pork chops outside. How's this guy know it? And he's talking to it. I want you guys to have a blast. I know I can't be there, but I love it when we throw a party. Can I tell you this morning that God is a lot like my friend Jim? He loves to throw parties. And he loves to invite as many people who will come to the party. And he's out inviting. Everywhere he goes, he's inviting. And not only is he inviting, but he's inviting the invitees, us, to go about inviting others as well. Because the more, the merrier. Peter said this, God wants all people to come to repentance. He wants none to perish. He wants them to be in the party. But what we're going to learn is, is not everybody under the banner of Christianity, under the banner of religiosity, wants the party to be so big. Because in a party like that, there's waste. In a party like that, you invite people that maybe shouldn't be there. And so this older brother in the story takes umbrage to the idea that we would go to so much fuss for a scandalous, filthy sinner. He came back. Yeah, he should come back. And you know what our response should have been? Kill him. We should have killed him. And instead of hearing rocks hitting flesh, I hear music and I hear dancing. Something is wrong. Well, that brings us to ask questions of ourselves this morning. Because for some last week, it hit really close to home. Maybe you've wandered or maybe you are wandering far from God. And the knowledge that God will receive you back and love you with grace and mercy is a balm to your soul. But maybe this morning, those that sat and said, yeah, man, what was he doing? What was he thinking? How reckless, how unloving of this son to do these things. Maybe today you find a little bit of older brother in your life. And if we're really honest this morning, there's a part of the prodigal and part of the older brother in all of us. And so as we looked at the younger brother, let's look at the older brother and let's learn three truths. And I want to do it by, by doing a compare and contrast, if you'll follow along with me for a moment. A compare and contrast. And we'll move through these quickly. But the first comp- comparison I want to do is between self-righteousness and sinful or shameful rebellion. Now, we understood what happened last week. We know the shame that the uh, younger brother lived. We know the older brother is going to bring it to the father. Hey, this son of yours, I don't even want to be connected to him. This son of yours, it's like what we do as parents. That's your kid, not mine. Okay, I, I want to distance myself from what I'm seeing. This son of yours has devoured your inheritance with prostitutes and reckless living. So we know his sin. We know the resume of the wanderer, the prodigal. But what about the resume of the older brother? He's righteous. Notice in the text. While the party has ensued, he's working out in the field. Let's rewind even. When the younger brother takes off and takes the money and runs, the older brother keeps his money and continues to work in the family business. 
He's a good son. One a rebel, one a goody two-shoe. But I want you to see this morning that the younger and the older are two sides of the same coin, which is lost. They're both lost. Let's understand why. Now, let's learn something about self-righteousness. Number one, self-righteous people are rule followers, not rule breakers. And so some of you this morning, by makeup, by choice, whatever it is, you don't break the rules. You stay within the fences. That drives me nuts. I've been sharing with the church in different gatherings the story about me and people tried to put fences around me as a young man and, and I laughed because I would kick those fences down and, and say, you can't fence me in. I was a rule breaker. I didn't like rules. Rules meant no fun. But there's some of you who thrive off of rules. I married one of them. Pray for her. Because she would see rules and she would see rules as her friends, not her foe. She would say rules kept her where she needed to be and it kept her out of trouble. And Amanda never gets into trouble and Tim gets in all kinds of trouble. But some of us are rule followers. We want to be upright. We want to stay clean. And this is what the Pharisees are doing. Look at us. We follow the rules. To be a Pharisee meant you memorized the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. You memorized it, which contained the law of Moses. You knew the rules and you lived by the rules. And some of you this morning, you know the rules and you follow them. And it drives you nuts when you see people break the rules. And there's a part of you that says you should get what's coming to you. You didn't need to do that. You could have stayed home, younger brother, but you didn't. And now when you come home, it's stones on your head. You didn't have to do it, but you chose to. Now you're going to pay the consequences. Notice the second thing about self-righteous people. They sin internally, not externally. From the outside, this older brother looks awesome, dutiful, loyal. He seemingly uh, does everything his father says. In fact, later on, he says, I've done everything you've asked. I've never not done what you want. But notice there's something going to go on on the inside that will start to show its ugly head. Now, did it start when the party was thrown? No, it had been harboring there for a long while. But nobody saw it because we know from the scriptures that some people will sin externally. The prodigal sins externally. Everybody sees what he did. His shame is before him. But for the elder brother and for some of us today, nobody knows our sin. Nobody sees it. And so what happens is, is we're sinning internally where nobody can see it. And this was true of the Pharisees. Turn in your Bibles for a moment to Matthew 23. So if you're in the Gospel of Luke, just go two Gospels back to the left, to the Gospel of Matthew. 
Matthew chapter 23. If you've got a pew Bible, you're going to find our passage on page 829. Page 829. And what Jesus says is, be careful that when you make the outside look clean, don't forget about the inside. Because the insides is just as important as the outside. So if you're sinning internally, you might as well be sinning externally because it's all the same. This is what Jesus says to the Pharisees. And see how it connects to self-righteousness. Verse 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you're hypocrites. For you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate, that the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Jesus, in a very loving way, is speaking to them earlier on in the story, before he starts rebuking them, and he's saying, listen, don't be the older brother. The older brother seemingly looks great on the outside, and maybe today you look great on the outside. And that's wonderful. But that's only half there. In fact, it's maybe even less than half there because it says you got to clean the inside first and then the outside will follow. And so they had this man-made religiosity that made it look really, really good. People looked at Pharisees and said, man, they've got it all put together. Maybe today in the church people say you've got it all put together. But you know, and by the way, God knows what's going on in the inside. Jesus speaks about this in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, listen, the law says that a man shouldn't commit adultery with a woman, but I tell you, if a man in his heart thinks certain things, he's already committed adultery in his heart. The law says, do not kill, do not murder, but I tell you, anyone who thinks ill of their brother has killed them in their heart. And so what we see is this ongoing teaching of Jesus to us as self-righteous people that just because we put on a good show, if there's sin in our heart, then we're just like the younger brother. Finally, the thing that we need to recognize is because we're rule followers and not rule breakers, because we sin internally and not externally, what is our response? Notice we are stuck up, not scandalous. And so Pharisees, whether modern day or first century, were people that thought highly of themselves. Remember the story of the Pharisee who gets up in the temple and he prays? Oh, Lord, I'm glad you didn't make me like all of these sinners, right? I'm glad I'm better than them. I'm glad I don't sin like them. I'm glad I don't have the stench of their scandalous acts on me. I'm better. I'm worthy. I'm acceptable. 
This is what the older brother says in Luke 15, 29, when he says, look, old man, look at my service. Never disobeyed you. Look at his confidence. I think he's telling the truth, by the way. I think he's saying, look, dad, that younger son, he never did anything right. But look at what I've done. I can show you act upon act upon act. I've always been a good son. You know it. I know it. Now give me what I deserve. Some of us are treating God that way. Look at my attendance at church. Look at my giving at church. Look at my service at church. Look at all that I do. I'm not out running wild. I'm not doing those things. I don't speak that way. I don't act that way. And so I deserve something from you, my heavenly father, and I want it now. There's an arrogance when self-righteousness comes about. Well, how do we know? How do we know? If we are self-righteous, the answer is seen in whether or not we are resentful or rejoicing. So how did we know this guy was self-righteous? The answer was when the son, the other son comes home, there's dancing and there's music and there's the smell of Kingsford charcoal cooking the fatted calf. It's his exciting times. And he walks in from the field and he's getting closer to the house and he smells what's going on and he hears what's going on and he asks the servant hey what's going on this this is quite a quite a ruckus that's taking place what what's happened and the servant i think very gleefully very joyfully says your dad's doing all of this because your brother who was lost has been found. Let's go. Let's celebrate. The longer we're out here, the less time we're in the party. Let's go. The buffet line is open. And so there's this dichotomy of celebrating. When I read this text and was studying, and I don't know why my mind goes to these places, and most of you, if you're under the age of 35 or over the age of 55, you'll have no idea what I'm talking about. But, but what I envisioned was the old cartoon, The Smurfs. And, and the celebrating Smurfs, always celebrating, like, la, 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 la. And there's just, and hey, the sun's back, and hey, the fattened calf, and woohoo, yay, yay. And then what happened with the Smurfs? They're celebrating, and then the camera would change, and, and we'd have Gargamel's house. Dun, 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 dun. Some of you are really loving this. My children are probably running for the exits right now. This contrast, Smurfs, everybody's happy. And there's this one guy, this enemy, this, this angry cuss, Gargamel. He doesn't want them celebrating. I don't know what Gargamel's issue was with the Smurfs, but he did not like happy things. And this is what the, old guy, or the older brother does. I don't want to celebrate. I've got a problem. What happens is, is he throws a flag on the play. For you football fans, if you don't like Smurfs, let's go football. He throws a flag. We've got a problem. And here's what I'm going to do. Notice what he does. He allows, first of all, and these are, these are checkpoints to see if self-righteousness has created in your heart resentment instead of rejoicing. Number one, is your anger leading the way? 
The first response, he hears music. He hears dancing. He smells barbecue. And he's told, there's a party. Your brother has come home. What does he lead with? Not more questions. Not, oh, wow, is he okay? None of that. It says he was angry. The picture here is he was furious. I feel bad for the servant. The servant wants to probably be at the party. But he works for this guy because he works for the old man. So this is the son. So he works for the son. He's like, come on, man. Come on. Let's get to the party. Nope. I've got a problem. Now notice many times what happens. Does he go and storm into the party? Start flipping over tables? Getting all angry and speaking of words of anger? Nope. No, he's too righteous for that. So what's he going to do? I'm going to stand here and I'm going to pout. Be careful, my friends, who live in a place of passive aggressiveness. Passive aggressiveness will kill you. It will rob you of great joy. Now, I'm the rebel. I would have run in and thrown the tables around. That's what I would have done. Bull in a china cabinet, man. I would have just taken things out, right? But there are some of you, you, we have no idea where you're at. And deep down inside, you're seething. But you're not going to tell anybody. You'll let your silence do the talking. Well, what does he allow his silence to do? I'm not going in. I'm not going in. And so the father's having a great time. No doubt. He, here's my son. Look, hey, man, he's home. Isn't this great? Neighbors, come. Say hello to my son. He's, he's found his way back home. Isn't this a great and glorious day? And someone says, hey, what about Tony, your older, other son? Where is Tony? Where's he at? Uh, boss, come here. Yeah, what's up? Tony heard what happened. Tony heard that his brother's home. Tony's pretty mad. He's outside. He won't come in. What do you mean he won't come in? Man, I, I, I got the leg for him of the, the, man, we got the Angus beef here, man. We got the best part for him. Tell him to come in. No, he won't come in. What do you, what do you mean he won't come in? His brother's home. His brother who is dead. I've never heard Tony say a bad thing about this. Tony's always been a loyal and faithful guy. Tony's always done what I've asked him to. No, Tony won't come in. He says he doesn't want to be a part of it. He refuses to come in. Do you let anger lead the way? Now, why is he angry? We'll get to this in a moment. But he's really mad about the cow. Sounds funny, doesn't it? He's all about the cow. He wanted the cow. His brother got the cow. So he's having a cow. What about you? What what small thing? What little thing that gets caught in your craw keeps you from rejoicing with others and with God? Resentment is probably alive more than you would ever imagine. But notice, where does this resentment come from? Notice, be careful when it's all about you. So dad goes out and he he goes and he goes to his son and he entreats him, it says. But... There's a lot of B-U-T in this passage. 
And it's to show the contrast. The father comes and, 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 and like what he did to the son, he goes to the son and he loves on him and he ministers to him. And the younger son receives it. He basks in it. He rejoices and he's in the house and he's loving what his father has done, experiencing his grace and mercy. But self-righteousness keeps us outside and it has us answer this way. Look, these many years I've served you and I've never disobeyed you, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. It's all about him. Notice five times he points to himself. Five times in one short verse. Notice what he says. Look at the many years I, there's number one, have served you. And I, number two, never disobeyed your command. And you never gave me, number three, a young goat that I, number four, might celebrate with my, number five, friends. This has nothing to do with the younger brother. This has nothing to do with the father. This has everything to do with the older brother. Some of you are mad at the world and the world has nothing to do with it. It's your problem. You're mad. You're angry. Because you believe the world should have given you something or maybe God should have given you something or your parents should have given you something and they didn't and now you're coming and saying it's time to pay the piper. It's time. I demand what is mine. So let me tell you where it's all about you and where you struggle, uh, and I struggle for that matter, with it being all about us. You pull out your phone and you're on that so- social network site and you're flipping through the, the different things of your friends. These are your friends. These are people closest to you. Oh, look, they... Oh, so-and-so got a new car. That's really nice. I bet you their priorities are all out of whack. I bet you they don't give to the Lord. Oh, Junior, so-and-so's son, Junior, he, he made the honor roll. I bet, you, I bet you they did all his homework. Oh, oh, look at that. So-and-so and so-and-so went on a romantic getaway. I bet you their marriage is all apart. They probably live in a lie. And we just go through. And we say, well, it's not about me, and it's about someone else. And what we begin to do is we begin to impugn upon people things that aren't there. Why? Because we don't want anybody to have joy that we don't have. We we don't want anybody to experience rejoicing and celebration if we're unhappy with ourselves. And so this older brother is unhappy with his life. He's unhappy with where he's at. And so when someone else gets something celebrated, he throws a fit. This is where grace and mercy comes. The father comes and he entreats his son. And notice how he speaks to him. In verse 31, son, you're always with me. And all that is mine is yours. The father says, will you listen? Will you listen for a moment? Son, what I'm doing for your brother doesn't take away my love for you. Son, you have two-thirds of what I have. You have the rest of what I have. 
And all of it's yours. It's all yours. I've always been with you. I've always loved you. I've always cared for you. Remember that I I told you last week that in the story of the prodigal son, the younger brother, when the father runs and embraces the son, um, one commentary said that he acted like a mother, not a father. Well, this guy is talking like a mother does, not a father, nurturing, caring, loving. Not that guys can't do it, but it's characteristic of a loving mom who's gushing over her son. And he's saying, listen, you're the world to me. But we're far off because I'm celebrating and you're not. Have you ever asked the question, in our self-righteousness, is God celebrating while we're pouting? Have you ever seen a work of God in, in and around you that you're angry about it while everybody seems to be happy about it? Everybody says, there seems to be a party going on and you're sitting there, arms crossed. I, I can't like it. This is what the older brother's doing. He's not entering into the party, the excitement, the joy. He'd rather pout where he's at. It's because we think something is due us. You're not doing it my way. You're giving the fattened calf to him, not to me. I would have given, I would have given the world for a goat. You're giving this guy the calf. This is big stuff to him. And even the affectionate overtures of a father or of God doesn't move you. You're still cynical. How do we know where we're at? Can I tell you the difference is really subtle? And that leads me to the third point. We're not going to spend a lot of time here, but, but it's important because it's the difference between religion and relationship. And I got to ask you this morning, why are you involved with your heavenly father? Why are you here? And I'm going to ask it in three ways. Are you engaged with your heavenly father out of duty? Like the older brother, that's just what I do. That's what oldest sons do. They're here. That's what, you know, uh, in the Badal house, that's what Badals do. We go to church on Sunday. We say we believe God. Is it a duty? Or is it we're at church and we're involved in ministry and we're involved in life because this God of the universe who created us, though we rebelled against him, He sent his one and only son to die in our place that we might have eternal life in him. And because of that, it's not that I have to, it's I get to worship and praise him and serve him and love him and give him all of me. This is not a duty. I delight in these things because I love God. Why are you here this morning? Is it because you have to be? Is it because people are expecting you to be? Well, then you're the older brother. You're doing your duty. And you're doing a great job. But what the heavenly father wants, just as the father wanted, was that it would have been the son's delight to be where the father was. Number two, are you a slave or are you a son? Are you a slave or a son? 
he speaks, the older brother speaks of a master-slave relationship. Look at all I've done for you. I have worked for you. I have toiled for you. I have labored for you. And what have you done for me? You won't even give me a goat. Maybe today you've been serving God. And, and, and where it comes, by the way, and I'll tell you, man, I've lived it as a pastor. Where it comes is where, where maybe you don't get the adulation. You don't get the affirmation that you think is due you. And you sit down. I'll tell you, it's Sunday nights for me. You're tired. You've given your all. And you wonder, you're like, you know, nobody said thank you. Now, please, tonight, don't all come and say thank you. <laughs> hey, you know what the self-righteousness in me says? Why am I doing all this? I don't even want it. What good is it? I work, I strive, I toil. Nobody cares. Nobody cares about me. Oh, poor little Tim, and God bless Amanda. She's like, are you done? Can you come inside? It's raining outside and your arms are crossed. Come inside and let's figure this thing out. But all, you got to do it again next week. So let's get it right. But that's what we do, right? I lead small group. Nobody says anything. You serve the kids ministry. The kids don't care. The parents never say thank you. By the way, when you pick up your kids, say thank you to those people. Do that. But what we begin to do is we say, I'm just doing this. I don't even like it. That's a slave. A son recognizes all that the father has as ours. And he's blessed us with every spiritual blessing under heaven. And now we get the great opportunity to love on our dad who's blessed us with so much. Is your faith and is your relationship with God about acquiring or agreeing? I want you to notice the sin of the two boys is synonymous, though they go in two different directions. The son, first son, youngest son, says, Dad, give me my share of the inheritance. I want nothing to do with you. And then he runs off. And he runs off, in essence, with his friends, apart from the father. Notice, it's subtle, but notice what this son says. He says, but when this son of, I'm sorry, he says, uh, let's see here. Uh, I never disobeyed, verse 29, your command. Yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. Both sons wanted their dad for what they could acquire, but never wanted to be together with their dad when they had it. So the son, first son, takes what his father gives him, runs off to a far country. The younger, the oldest, older brother says, Dad, give me a goat and I'll go hang out with my friends. Neither of them invite Dad into the celebration, into the gathering. And some of us this morning, listen to me very, very carefully. Some of us this morning are taking what God has given, never inviting him to be a part of it. And so you take the blessings of God and you don't say, God, why don't you join in this with me? And what God wants us to do is what the Father wanted, and that was to agree with him. Can you agree that it was fitting for us, verse 32, to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. 
The father is pleading with the son. Can you agree that your brother who was lost is found? Your brother who is dead is alive. Can you agree with me? And, and here's the crazy thing. Jesus stops the story. There's no culmination. And here's why. He wants the listeners of his original audience and our audience here to put ourselves in there and ask the question, will I go in or not? Will I go in or not? Will I enter my heavenly father's joy by agreeing with him that lost people need to be found? Will I enter into it when lost people are found or will I with my pharisaical eyes, my self-righteous being, stand outside and pout that God's not doing enough for me? Here's the great mercy of it all. Our heavenly father welcomes us in still. He invites us, and he's inviting you, all of your self-righteousness, all of your self-pity, all of your arrogance. He doesn't say, you know what, you're going to act that way, then I don't want you in my party. No, he says, will you come? Will you come? Will you come? It's an invitation to join God where he is. And the question this morning as you leave this place is, will I join God, or will I stay in my pity party by myself? God is calling us. He's inviting the scandalous, the shameful, the sinner, and he's inviting the put-together, self-righteous, and seemingly all cleaned up. He's inviting us all to the altar. And he's calling all of us to receive in that moment his mercy and grace and the great joy he has of welcoming people back to himself. Amen? Let's pray. Father God, we come before you, and we thank you for this series. We thank you for this chapter. We thank you for what it's taught us about ourselves, what it's teaching us about you. And now, Lord, we have a choice. We have a decision. Will we stand outside and live in our arrogance and self-pity? Or will we come inside and experience your love, grace, and mercy? Thank you, Lord, for not closing the door. Thank you, Lord, for not shutting us out. Thank you, Lord, for amidst our pouting, welcoming us in. And so, Lord, I pray that in the hearts of every person here, we might do business with you and ask the question, will we join you in your joy? That will be the immense joy we will experience. But we've got to turn away from our sin, our anger, our resentment, our entitlement, We've got to leave that in the field. And we've got to repent and be willing to agree with you. I pray that there'd be much agreement today. And that as we close this time, there will be great rejoicing that we have been found by God. Thank you, Lord, for doing all that on our behalf. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.